Hi. <laughs> Keep going. One, two, and three. Episode number three. It's episode three. It's coming for free. You don't have to pay a dime to drop in this time because Felix and Al, they just love to talk. And we hope that you enjoy the show. Hey ho. Okay, we are recording. Boo boo. Hey hey. Hey hey boo boo. Hey hey boo boo. Hey hey boo boo. (laughs) What's in that picnic basket? Uh, is that a Yogi Bear? Yeah, it's Yogi the Bear. Uh, Yogi Bear. Hey, hey, boo-boo. Hey, hey, boo-boo. Get another picnic basket. <laughs> so this is a podcast 003. That's correct. Yeah. Three is a magic number. It is. Three is a great number. <laughs> I love the three. Three is a yeah. magic number. Do you ever notice, uh, I notice when I'm... Maybe when I'm thinking about numbers a lot, I'll often look at my watch and it's 1111 or 333. And then I, sometimes I take that as like, it's just a reminder from God or from the universe. Like, hey, don't forget. And then sometimes I just think, well, it's just because I'm obsessed with those numbers and I just really notice it (laughs) when I look at my watch. But it seems disproportionately that it's on one of those numbers Cause I don't look at my watch more than, I don't know, 10 times a day. I don't know. And all 10 times are synchronistic. Not all 10 times, but a, a higher proportion that should be. I mean, how many time combinations are there in a day? There's 24 hours and 60. I mean, there's tons, 24 times 60 basically. And, uh, I, I'm a huge believer in synchronicity uh-huh. and, and numerology. And yeah, there's a lot of, great books on numerology that give you a really solid glance at your psyche yourself. It's, it's strange. It's just numbers, but it's also based on the Pythagorean theorem. So it's cool because numbers, everything are numbers and there's, there's numbers everywhere. You know, you look at this Wachuma cactus here in my yard and there's three, 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 or six, 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 or four, 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 whatever it is all throughout the spikes, you know, there's seven ridges on that cactus. So with the numerology, it's almost like astrology based around numbers. Like your name, your name is numbers. Like every letter in your name creates a number. A is one. L is, I can't remember the number. Um, and that shows a, a, a glimpse of your personality based on the Pythagorean. It's super cool. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. But speaking of synchronicity, I used to do that a lot as well. And I love seeing all these numbers. But now I'm getting a new type of synchronicity where I'll be listening to something and they'll say something and then I'll see it on a screen or I'll see it in my life or, you know, my partner will say the same word. It's super, it's interesting. That's been happening a lot for me. I think it was last night I was talking about meditation with my wife and we were just listening to some random Spotify playlist and the lyric as we were talking about it was meditation or shortly after strange interesting what were you listening to uh was it something that wouldn't have anything to do yeah with meditation? it was a song where uh, what was the song but it, it we weren't listening to spiritual meditation music it was 
I think kind of a cheesy sounding song, but he just said the word meditation. I don't even know if he was talking about meditation in terms of closing your eyes and breathing and noticing what's going on inside. He just, the word just popped out, you know? So it, but yeah, that kind of thing that I've been noticing that too. Yeah. What, what is that? I think, I think my personal opinion on this is that shows you're in synchronicity with something bigger like you're more in alignment with some kind of grid whether you believe in grids or not it's like there's there's some kind of vibration that you're actually tapping into i don't know because it's it's been strange when i'm listening to music and then it's on the screen or i'm listening to music and then something happens in a video that's exactly what they said in the music it's so strange not like a music video like something that would be very different like listening to safa's music while i'm watching a movie and that happens in the movie yeah uh, what is it? I don't know. I mean, the, the, the skeptic in me, which is always there, seems to get quieter and quieter with time. But the skeptic says, uh, well, it's just because that's what you're thinking about in the moment. So you notice it more when it pops out in your experience. Like, you know, it's, it's like when I bought a car, I bought a Volkswagen once, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm noticing so many Volkswagens on the road, the same model as mine. Because I'm, I'm just my eyes are. That's what I'm thinking about. So, but I think there's more to it than that. Obviously, uh, I, I can't begin to comprehend why that happens. I just like being blown away, and I like experiencing the mystery of that. And I interpret it as a reminder that there's something bigger at play. And yeah, when I look at my watch, it's eleven eleven. Uh, now when that happens, I just take it as a reminder that maybe I'm, I'm in flow with the universe and I'm, cause when that happens, either I'm struggling and I take it as like a reminder that everything's okay, or I'm, I'm feeling like I'm doing well and I'm connected and it's just a reminder, like, good job. You know, it's like an encouragement. So that's how I choose to see it. But even that, that's. A communication with something grander even if it's like <clears throat> just the time model itself you're communicating with the time model you know a, a time matrix for example so to take this a bit further there's a really cool video on youtube and i recommend everyone watches this but there's a guy who does synchronicity walks in new york and they have three different die and they're all random. They have different numbers, ones for different colors, ones for different like words or symbols or something like that. And people go all over New York following these synchronicities. And they'll find exactly what the dice is saying they'll find next every single time. Like It's almost like follow the white rabbit. It was one of their, their things. And that means they'll pick somebody who's very eccentric on New York streets and they'll follow them for a while. And then they'll stop at a place where they see a certain number and they'll roll the dice again. It's really interesting because he brings people to find exactly what they're looking for without even knowing it. So the dice aren't numbers. They're symbols on the dice or different colors? There's, there's three different types of dice or four uh-huh. different types of dice. Uh-huh. One has numbers. So you'll look for a certain number. And they're, not, they're random numbers. So like 11, 12, 10... Why am I going there? That's a sequence. <laughs> Six, four. And 
and then they'll have a die that has on there it says it, it'll say follow the right rabbit and that's at that point where you're like oh there's a person with a green backpack and purple shoes let's follow them for a while and they will and then it brings them to the number three that's fun it's super cool that's an adventure it's so super people cool. he in these videos he takes people on these adventures or he lets them he guides it kind of yeah so basically the group comes together he has this paper bag with all these die the first person reaches in and they pull out something and they're looking for the number three and they find building three so they go that direction and they just start walking around New York with this synchronicity model. And it always brings them to this amazing place. I, you just, I'm not going to give it away. I think you need to watch it. But it's, there is something to synchronicity. There's something about, like, not to get into like simulacra and simulation, but it's, there is some kind of order, a greater order. And I think once we start tapping into that, we start opening these doors to synchronicity. Uh huh. That's cool. You know, that reminds me of uh, I did this journey through Spain a few years ago. It's called the Camino de Santiago. It's a pilgrimage. A lot of people know about it. And the pilgrimage, the section I did was about a thousand kilometers uh, from started in France and ended on the Atlantic coast of Spain. And the journey is known for synchronicities. So. It's very common, for example, for people to lose something. So maybe they lose uh, a pair of shoes even, or I don't know how you lose a pair of shoes. Maybe that's a bad example. But uh, or they lose their walking stick or they just lose something. And then that same day, they'll find a replacement just laying on the side of the path. And I, I had pretty magical experience with that. Uh, and shortly after that, I was in Portugal and... Uh, I met this woman, we became really good friends and we met for coffee one morning in the city of Porto. And then we just went for a walk and we were just flowing in a conversation. And this walk ended up lasting 24 hours. We walked like everywhere and we weren't paying attention to where we we're going. We weren't, we weren't using maps. We would stop randomly for food, go into random churches, we ended up at the beach. Uh, but essentially what happened after 24 hours is we, without knowing where we were going, we ended up exactly back where we started at this restaurant, <laughs> which is really crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, I find those, those kinds of things happen when we, at least when I let go of planning, when I let go of trying to figure things out and I just really go with the flow, kind of like what you said in these videos, you just look for signs and you just go with that, whatever. If I'm really paying attention, it seems that there's always, there's always choices and where I go and what I do, if I'm really open. But one of them is a little brighter. It draws me a little more. And if you keep following that, I mean, it can lead to really amazing outcomes. Yeah, I think that's what synchronicity is. I think, we, I think we've been taught how to move through this world in a way that's like, you rationalize A, B, C, you have all these choices, okay, which one is the best option? And there's a lot of mental energy that's put into each of these options without a sensation first. And it's like we're almost taught to get rid of the sensation and be very critical thinking or rational in our ideas. I'm not saying that rationality is bad, but I feel for people who 
have touched on magical levels of reality. They're like, no, there's something more to letting go of the mind. There's something more to falling into this synchronistic flow of whatever it is, which is very much like our podcast. Like there's a there's a synchronistic flow. We didn't even plan to talk about it. We were talking about jujitsu before we got on here, and it's like all of a sudden we're in the world of synchronicity and numerology. <laughs> it's so yeah, and, and this is where I think the matrix is a real thing. Not not necessarily like the movie where we're living in a computer simulation that we're all plugged into and we're batteries for a larger machine, but that there is some form of greater connection that happens. And I feel like with your story, you know, what was the name of the the trail again? The Camino de Santiago. Camino de Santiago. So with that, it's like you're you're super in the moment. Like when when I'm hiking, I feel the same thing. I'm just like, I feel super in the moment. It's just one step after another. And we forget about these choices, these rational choices and we start falling into this this flow state same thing in jujitsu same thing in medicine work and so we're stepping outside of the barrier of like this mental construct and into a greater construct yeah that's happened that that's with art too i i can point to a few experiences in my life with art i'm not i don't really create art right now but I've had experiences where one one example is I was living with my sister and my nephew, her son, and it was summertime, so he's on break from school. Maybe he's like nine years old, and we were bored, and uh, we decided to make an art project out of all these empty wine bottles that my sister had in the garage, and I just we had an amazing time, and I just remember experiencing. Uh, this flow state. We I wasn't thinking about what we were doing, and neither was he because he's a kid. And we just created this sculpture out of these wine bottles, and it was the most amazing experience, a bonding experience. And afterwards, we both looked at it like, "Wow, like that we we did that." Same thing happened when I was studying acting. Like when I was really into it, there were moments uh, where I would just forget that I'm even acting, and just be in this state in the moment and it just flows and it's the most incredible feeling. Same with jujitsu. I mean, I'm not there yet cause I'm just starting. So I'm still in a place of thinking. Alan's getting really good <laughs> to be honest. I'm serious, <laughs> but you know, it's still a mental process, but with tennis, for example, I, I used to play a lot of tennis, not so much here cause there's no courts around, but, uh, same thing. And actually for a while I experimented with, I would microdose psilocybin and play tennis and there was a fine line between microdose and too much in that context, but the right microdose really enabled me to get into this flow state where, I mean, I was seeing the ball early and I was just, it was incredible. It felt so good. And so my question is with sports or jujitsu or medicine work, when we're in that state, if our actions and responses aren't, they don't seem like they're coming from the mind. So what what is it? Are we just flowing with the creative force of life? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, it brings me to a one to an experience and two to a book. Um, I'll start with the book. So I read this book. It was like quantum hacking or something like this. And there was a story in the very beginning. I didn't read the full book. 
I should always read the full book, but the first story was this guy got in a fight at school. And the first thing he thought of was Bruce Lee. And as soon as he thought of Bruce Lee, he felt like he was Bruce Lee. And he was moving like he was Bruce Lee. And he beat the crap out of these guys. So what did he tap into? Like, what is this grander... Did he channel Bruce Lee? Did he open a door into this, you know, realm where all, all information is there? And that's like... I know that you've probably experienced that with medicine where you open this door and it's like, whoa, everything's right here. So what is that layer of the matrix? Why, why aren't we there more? And is that... Is that a process of our mind? Which brings me to the first point, which was an experience. The experience was, it's experiences. So I look back in my life often, especially with medicine work, I look back and I see all of these crossroads, all of these points in my life where I could have gone a completely different direction. I could have been a very, very different person. I look at, my potential to join the military. I look at my potential to be married to somebody who I really wasn't in love with. I look at uh, being homeless. I look at all these different experiences that they had. It was such a a U-turn. But there were these little points, these little things that came in and guided me in a different direction. It wasn't a mental thing. It wasn't overthinking. It was like, okay, I feel I need to do this. Like coming to the temple like not joining the military. Yeah. I was just thinking about that yesterday. I was, I was just, I was writing it and I was writing whatever was coming up for me. And it was a memory of New York when I lived in New York and it became this theme about all these, there were specific moments in my life where I remembered being faced with a really big choice. And one that came to mind was I was in a relationship with a woman in New York and we were maybe like a month into it. And we had gone out to dinner and uh, it just wasn't flowing. It was just awkward, very different people, just not flowing. And we parted ways and I walked her to her, her subway train and, uh, and we both recognized it was awkward. And she raised the question. She's like, do you want to just end this now? It's just not really going well, is it? And my mind was like, yes, we, I got to get out of this. Like, this is terrible. Everything in me was saying, yes, let's end this relationship. But what came out of my mouth was, no, let's, no, we can't end it. Let's keep trying. And she's like, okay. And we parted ways. And then for the next 24 hours, I was beating myself up over, oh my God, you had an exit opportunity. And you were afraid to, to take it. And in the moment, I, I, I thought I wasn't actually, I wasn't following my instinct, my, what my mind was saying, and even my heart. But now that I look back, that decision to stay together is what I'm probably, I wouldn't be where I am right now. If, if, if I had broken up with her, because that relationship just went, went downhill and it was miserable for like a year, but it's what led me to, into a space a crisis, a spiritual crisis to leave New York, to go on this Camino de Santiago, which eventually led to a meditation retreat, which eventually led to a year, to ayahuasca, to everything. So, you know, I think about what would have happened if I had taken 
what my mind was saying. Something, it, it was like I wasn't saying no to that moment. Every part of me was saying, yes, let's break up. But it came out as no. And I, I almost felt like I had no choice in the matter. And, and my, I was destined to go through that. And it was miserable. But so much came out of it. Now we're friends, you know, and it led us both on our own journeys, you know, and it led me to my wife eventually. And so, yeah, what is that? I, I think that when we're in what's called a flow state or... I don't know. I, I I think we have two choices. We either let our let our life be run by our mind, our ego, or we let our life be run by the greater creative force and we just become expressions of that creative force. Or we're somewhere in between. That's what I feel like I'm I'm vacillating. Uh, but truly surrendering and I think plant medicine work when it's done effectively kind of leads to more of that experience of just being really open and going with this creative current creative flow where it seems like I'm actually not making any choices. They're just being made for me and I'm just rolling with it. And it's always good when I'm really letting go into it. Uh, so yeah, surrendering to that frequency of creation rather than trying to follow my thoughts, which are, never consistent i'm always changing my mind about shit like the mind is always changing so it doesn't seem to lead seem to lead anywhere to just follow those ebbs and flows of the mind well i i bring this back to our last podcast too where we talked about really listening versus like waiting to respond it's it's a challenging thing because the mind like the mind rules so much in our lives. And I think we've been raised in a mental society, <laughs> Pun, all puns intended, but that we're, we're, we're given this foundation of education, this foundation of a world where we always process things first mentally. Like, and I said this before, mentally, rationally, but the hardest thing to do ever is to step into this, like consciously step into the state of flow but I don't want to. I don't want to step too far into like a woo-woo space. I want to say this from a very grounded place. This is the only reason I'm pointing out how my life had all these U-turns. You know, it's a very real thing that I know everyone has experienced in some form or another. And it's not. I think we glorify it often and put it in books and go to a guru to try and find it, and we look for some super wise person to show us how to be, to just be. But I think that I think that once we're in that state, we see that everything is teaching us from that level. And we spoke about this yesterday with the plants. Like the plant doesn't think, oh, I'm going to grow this way. I'm going to blossom a flower. I'm going to put roots in the ground. It's like it just does. It's so in the moment. And that's where I think nature brings the synchronistic aspect out the most. So I, we'll go out into the woo-woo, into the far reaches of the mind and we'll play with an idea i think there's many layers to matrices uh even mathematically there's there's multiple layers matrices can be matrices can be infinite um so i think that we have a matrix of new york city we have a matrix of the mindset of new york city we have a matrix of uh monetary gain we have a matrix of of love or of joy or of happiness or of bliss 
and we have the matrix of nature. So I think that the highest form of the matrix, not like a simulation, but this form of synchronicity is a natural form of synchronicity. You know, I think, I think of the psychedelic experiences I've had where you tap into that, just you, you sit and you look at a tree and you're like, wow, every knot in that tree, every crack in that tree is perfect. Like what, what is that? What is this perfection that is permeating everything? And then why do I step in and even call it perfect? Why do I step in and try to create a story around it? Why do I step in and try and rationalize it before I experience it? So I wonder if that's maybe like an elevated state. You you spoke of frequencies. Like I, I think that's a very powerful frequency to be in is where you're, the mind has shut up. I'm not a huge fan of Don Carlos or Carlos Castaneda and Don Juan because there's all this weird woo-woo around it. But there's some messages in these books that are really potent. And one thing that Don Juan talks about is stopping time or stopping the world. And it's something I try when I realize I'm getting too mental. (laughs) In stopping the world, you stop every story that is going in your mind and you stop the world. And you just are. And it's so hard to describe with words because you're supposed to step out the outside of the barrier of words as well. So, yeah, it's, it's an, an interesting thing to be in a podcast and to try and talk about spiritual experiences that are experiential, that are no mind. Um, but I find that I find that this is a space I wish to live in more. I find that's where my problems dissolve. I find that's where I'm able to tap into a greater creativity, a greater joy, a greater peace. So I think we're the only species, at least on this planet, with any concept of time. Because time can only exist as long as you have a dialogue going on in the mind about this happened and that happened. And, you know, I look at my cats or... They're, they're teachers. They're, it seems they're just completely present to what is. They don't think about what happened or what's going to happen. It's just one moment to the next, and that's what plants are. So we're, we're supposedly these super, the most advanced uh, creatures on the planet. But in some ways, at least the spiritual paths that I try to follow are the ones leading me more towards these other species like plants and animals of just being present. And, and then our gift becomes our intellect. Like we can build things and do all these things, but, but that presence is really, that's the, that's the, the nugget. That's the gold. Uh, and for sure, I mean, I, I'm always brought back to that. And I think pretty much every time I'm consciously doing a practice, whether it's meditation or plant medicine ceremony, it's basically with the intention to foster that presence and to get out of this dialogue. And when I first met my wife, I mean, she was on a yogic path for a long time and she was the, she said something to me. It was the first time it really resonated. And it was basically, she said that she doesn't believe anything that her mind says, like of the dialogue, that none of it's true. And I, 
and it just really caught me for a moment. It's like, wow. So this mind basically just pumps out just by its very nature, just stories and opinions and all this stuff. And it's, it's what it does, but it's ultimately not true. And especially when it's causing suffering, I can just remember like, oh, that's, it's not really true what it's saying. Would you, do you feel that the mind is a primary source of suffering? Yes. I think it's both the source of our suffering and the gateway out of it. It, the mind is, for me at least, the mind is my homework assignment in this life. Uh, you know, there's so many archetypal stories, you know, the story of the fall from the Garden of Eden, the fall, I mean, I get all these stories mixed up, but basically there's many stories pointing to, we were in this state of presence and bliss, and then the mind came in and started labeling things and started labeling things good and bad, and it kind of took over and we fell from that state. And this is now a journey of coming back to that state of seeing the mind for what it is and uh, finding a liberation from it. So yeah, I think the mind is absolutely the source of all of our suffering. I mean, but then I think about like, what about an animal that's, you know, caught in a trap and it's like slowly bleeding to death. It's suffering, but that's pain. I think it's not telling itself a story about it. It's in the moment. Yeah. He's, he's in the trap and all he's doing is trying to get out. He's not, ow, I'm hurting. Ow, I'm hurting. Ow, I'm hurting. How am I going to die? Oh my God. I want to see my family one more time. No, none of that. That That's not in their, their mental structure. And I, I think, again, going back to what you said, like finding that these natural mentalities, like plants, animals, they have, there's a key in there for us, but it's, <clears throat> now we're going to go down another rabbit hole because there's <laughs> These these loops of language, these these traps of language. I really love uh, etymology, um, but animal mal is bad. The bad animated, the bad created. So why 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 have we put that trap there for us, and why have we demonized animals again? Is that really? It's the Latin root of it. The Latin root is bad animation. A negative animation. Mal. Animal. Huh. So there's these little these these little loopholes in language that I find. So it's like and not to create a huge conspiracy theory, but this is where I believe language is a prison. Because even saying the word matrix matrix is a very interesting word, and matrices is like a womb. So are we in a womb? Because of the root mat, like mother? Matriarch. Matrix. Matrix. Matrices. So a matrix is like being in a in a confined space, in a womb, in, in a, a prison. I, maybe not a... Well, a womb is like a nourishing prison. It's a nourishing prison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's we're waiting to be born. And I think... I think a lot of people have that mentality. Now, I'm not, I'm making a generalization, but I think we have this mentality of, um, you know, 
a lot of people prefer death over life. A lot of people are afraid to be born. And a lot of these, we talk about psychedelics a lot in this podcast, but you know, psychedelics are a great example of having an experience of being born again or of dying. And within these experiences, we find a greater reality. We find a different level of ourselves because we start to understand that we've been living dead. We haven't been alive. That's what I was talking about this with Chase, our friend. Uh, and like the, what's missing in especially modern Western society is uh, initiation. And in, what is initiation? To me, initiation is uh, a taste, an experience of death without physically dying, but a reminder about death and facing it. And then it puts everything else into perspective. And in a lot of indigenous cultures, uh, there's an initiation process that often happens in childhood or in adolescence. And it's what separates being a child from being an adult. And you go through this process and you initiate. And that's really lacking in our society. So we have, you know, even myself, I mean, even as I got into my 20s, became an adult, I was still a child. I, had, I hadn't, I was just swept up in, in a lack of connection with my own mortality and I was sweat. So I, I took all the minor dramas in my life really seriously and I got really depressed and it was, it wasn't until I started working with plants, um, ayahuasca brought this and then tobacco, uh, and all the others, uh, this reminder of a much bigger picture and a reminder about my own death. And, you know, just going back to our previous discussions about everything happening in the world. And it's like, if everybody initiated in some way and had that reminder, um, I think we'd be having very different conversations in a, in a larger cultural context. And, and my own practice now still involves that, uh, still involves putting myself in situations to remind me about that. So just, uh, last week I drank tobacco and it was the strongest experience I've had in a really long time. It was very strong medicine. And, uh, you know, and just to give context, like I've, I went through a several years journey with tobacco and drinking this plant and learning from my teacher and doing all these plant diets. And one would think, oh, after all that, you can drink tobacco and handle it. No problem. But it, it brought me to my knees and I was rolling around in in physical pain. The thought I might die came across and I was in so much discomfort. And then I was speaking in tongues. <laughs> I was just like babbling nonsense. But then I remember I was laying there in this pretty much state. I was gone, but I was laying there and all I was saying was, uh, I love myself. Thank you, God. I love myself. Thank you, God. I love myself. Thank you. That was all that was coming out of me. And it, it, that was the message that came through, which as a reminder, because I was facing mortality. And so I was reminded what was important to me and what was important to me was self-love in that moment, because I think I'd been hard on myself that week or whatever. And thank you, God, like just gratitude for life and for everything. And those were the fundamental keys that I needed to remember in that moment. And it was that mini, mini initiation, that one ceremony that brought me that. And then I, you know, I came out of that just feeling so much 
clearer and all the things that I was worried about were just gone and I was just felt present and those little deaths along the way. Yeah. Well, going back to living the living dead, it's like, like you said, we have, there's a lack of spiritual initiation in the world. There's a lack of recognizing mortality uh, or the lack of experience of mortality. It's almost like being young and you think, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to go out and party and have a great time and I'm invincible. Well, to a degree, yeah, but there still is mortality. I'm a firm believer that everything we're doing in life, everything we're doing here in this lesson, in this matrix, in this womb, is we're preparing for death. Death is the big, the grand finale. And I've always, since I was a kid, I've always had a fascination with death. I'm very scorpionic. I've always wanted to know, okay, what's next? This is all great. I love this. This world is beautiful. There's a lot of great experiences here. But from that state of consciousness when I was younger, I was like, I, I could just see the end of everything. I could see the end of high school. I could see the end of college. I could see the end of buying a house and having a family and blah, 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 blah. But this whole gambit that we're sold, I could always find the end of it until I tried psychedelics. Until I had an experience of seeing a broader perspective of our world and they're terrifying experiences at times. They bring us to our knees, like you said. They bring us to places that are, yeah, they're unbelievable. But without those experiences, I think of Bufo, like when we did Bufo, without that experience, like that changed me so much. To me, so if you don't know what Bufo is, Bufo is the venom of a desert toad from Sonora. Uh, it's Bufo Alvarez, and it's basically it's 5-MeO-DMT, dimethyltryptamine. So it's a very, very powerful psychedelic. It's probably the strongest psychedelic you can ever take. And Al and I had this opportunity where this guy came into town, and we decided to try this medicine out. And the first time I did it, I was terrified. It Basically, it was there was nothing you could do, and you were dying. There's, I mean, you could we could start putting our mind into it, which made it worse. But I was laid out. And so I left that experience very humbled. And I was like, okay, so we have a class on death here in our local area. I need to go there and I need to keep going there. I need to, I need to let go. I need to die. Because in many ways I was constraining myself. I wasn't living because of my mental stories that I was building around myself. I was limiting myself and my world with my mind. So I was dead in many ways. I thought there was no option. I thought there was no exit. I thought there was no, there was no options, which I repeated. But yeah, there was no, there was no other path. And once I died... <laughs> I had this opportunity to be like, wow, I'm literally surrounded by everything all the time and there's always an option and I can always change and I can always be better and I can always keep dying to my old self. Whatever that means. Yeah. And I mean, that makes me think that 
in our lifetime, there's two ways to live. One way, which is seems to be unhealthy, is the default, which is because you said uh, life is preparation to die. But I, I think that uh, when I'm, I often default to every activity I do is trying to avoid that, trying to avoid facing that. Every distraction, every uh, just just an unconscious distracted lifestyle essentially is an avoidance of that massive elephant in the room, which is always there, uh, and that's death and plant medicines. And I believe plant medicines can also be used as this avoidance as well. I think you know there are people that use it to bypass in a way. Uh, but they can certainly be used to remind us of that. And then it just puts everything into perspective and it really relieves a lot of stress when you remember that this is, this is going to end this, at least this version of existence. And, uh, so not to get caught up with the, with the small little things that really don't matter because you're not going to take those to the grave. But this is this is kind of tying into where we started with synchronicity. I would prefer to live a life free of mental stories than to be, you know, and live in this this flow state than be trapped in this this loop of like I need money, I need work, I need to do this, I need this, I need, I need, I need, I need where I find myself, I do, it's, it's such a, it's a comfortable place. So of course we go back there. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, like earth. Okay. I got to make breakfast. I have to eat food. I have to drink water, whatever. But this flow state where as a spiritual path and as an aim is what usually brings me to greater understanding. And sure. We, we talk about psychedelics, but like Alan said, you know, there's, there is a form of avoidance in that. In every path, there's a trap where you can fall into grand imaginations or you can find, uh, even in like the path of meditation or yoga, you have this idea of the guru or this master. And again, like I, I want to abolish the idea of guru or master outside of ourselves. I want to bring it back into a, an idea of a flow state or a state of higher consciousness that everyone can tap into. That should be our guru. That should be something that, that we seek constantly. And it, everyone has it. It's right there in front of you. It's like with our example of our lives, how we've all had these, these crossroads, these major crossroads where we could have gone down the wrong road. We could have been very different people. And whether that's right or wrong, I'm sure that would have been right as well. But it was aiming at something. There is some kind of singularity point that I think we're all aiming towards. And this is where I actually start to relax more. Instead of getting wrapped into the stories on the news, getting wrapped into the stories of you know, work and all these, these small things, which are important. I'm not saying they're not important. It's I keep remembering there's something grand there's something much larger than us that already has guided us here that already has brought us to a place 
of peace or whatever this is. Even even sitting here in this podcast, I feel it again. And these reminders are what we can find in, in plant medicines or psychedelics or these things. But we have to be aware of grandiosity. We have to be aware of how the mind is going to trap us into uh, grand imaginations of, again, creating a superior uh, superior God, uh, whatever it is. And these are all traps. I, I think I, these are just ideas. I'm not, I'm not creating a doctrine here, but, uh, again, this is why I feel what the psychedelics were, what plant medicine has brought me to is just to be as me as I can. And to follow that really, that deep inner sense that, Oh, I, I feel good about going this direction. Does this path have a heart? Yes, it does. I got to keep walking that way. I got to keep walking that way. Same thing with this podcast. Does this path have a heart? It does. Every time we have this conversation, we get to these places where I'm just like, oh, this is, we're touching on God or the universe or the matrix or whatever you want to call it. We're touching on something. And yeah, I hope to do that every day because this is my guru. Life is your guru. Life is my guru. Yeah. You're my guru. Yeah, that, that's what I was getting at too. Is, cause I, I, in the sense of gurus, I think other people can be our guru. I think some great masters have come along the way in, in India or wherever else. A true guru is someone who's not trying to tell you the way, but simply they're exhibiting it through their being. And, you know, there's stories of people going to a, a guru in India and just by being in their presence, they're, they awaken to something else and some layer of them dies by simply sitting in front of the guru. Uh, so that, that to me is a guru. It's not someone, there's been many false gurus, you know, who tell you what to do and what to wear and all that, and all that stuff. But uh, a true guru can be a human being, can be a dog, it can be nature, can be plants. It's anything that's exhibiting uh, a way of being that influences us uh, and reminds us of who and what we truly are, which is beyond words, beyond description. My main thing is just abolishing hierarchy. Uh-huh. That That's where I feel the trap is. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm, I, I agree with you. Life is, life is the guru like this. It's like every step that we've been taking or that we're taking is been leading us it's leading us somewhere and if if i don't if i haven't trusted it i wouldn't be here i may not even be alive i don't know but i feel yeah it's like that's that's true humility is when you stop and you you're like okay you know i i notice and I realize that every instant, every moment I'm learning something, I'm expanding into something, or I'm letting go into something, everything's my teacher. When I apply that to the larger scale of what's happening in the world, uh, sometimes it causes me to just take a step back, and even if it looks bad what's happening, and uh, there's conflict and upheaval and confusion, if I take a step back and take the approach of like everything is meant to happen as it is, your dog is, what's wrong anyway? 
yeah, so everything that's happening in the world, even the bad things, it's like, well, this is part of how it's supposed to all play out. And as a human race, we're going through this initiation, this process of evolution. And and just like in a plant medicine ceremony, it comes with some difficult times, some purging, some emotion, some dirty stuff comes up. But it's it's, is it all meant to be? And in that case, I'm not really just, I'm, there's no big picture reason for me to resist what's happening or to criticize it or but I still think we all have a role to play in everything. And some people, their role is to call out what they perceive to be injustices. And that's just part of the big picture. And also the injustices are part of the big picture that we have to go through. So there's nothing to do, but be nothing to do, but be that's so good. Yeah. That's such a, Oh, you just hit a really powerful nugget, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. Cause I see when I personally get trapped in it, I see when I start to like want to fight little injustices or I want to lash out or I feel trapped. It's like, I'm trying to control the world and like, it's trying to stop a boulder that's rolling down a mountain and I can't and I can't. But, yeah, it's like when we step back and, and realize a grander perfection, I think that's powerful. It's okay. There's a truck going by, wondering if we can hear it on the mics. Yeah, so, yeah, if, if I rule the world. Na, 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 na. Gotta love Nas. Black diamonds. Yeah, love Nas. Uh so yeah so ruling my own world means letting go of trying i don't think it's possible i mean i think there's only an illusion of ruling anything right really i don't think we have any control ever we can tell ourselves we have control and then we can struggle trying to maintain that story uh but just it's futile but I'll, we'll we'll go out to the macro and then we'll come back to the micro. Like in micro, I mean our lives, our personal lives. I think a lot of people live their lives in a way of trying to make sure everything is ordered. That's why we have the list of what needs to be done today. At nine o'clock, I'm going to go visit this. Da, 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 da. And there's con- there's a sense of control in that. But I'm a big fan of lists, man. To do are lists. you? Yeah. For the exact that exact reason. Yeah. Well, it's grounding. It's grounding and it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. And if I didn't have the list, I I don't know. But why do we need to accomplish something? We Well. Uh, no, no I'm, I'm genuinely yeah, asking. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, in my own case, it's, if I really look at it, it's a story that's, it's a hard one to handle. It's that I'm not good enough. Uh, and by achieving things, by getting things done, uh, I feel that I'm living a valuable life. It's not true, but underneath it all, it's yeah, I'm not, I'm not good enough as I am. That's what I'm working with. 
I, and I'm not I'm not saying it's negative. I I think there's a really beautiful, genuine quality at the bottom of that for everyone. I think everyone wants to make their world or the world a better place in some form or another. And through our accomplishments, we try to do that. We aim towards that. I mean, I agree with the, the motivational aspect of seeing that I need to come. I feel it every day as well. I, I do. I wake up and I'm like drinking my coffee. I'm like, okay, what, what can I do today? What can I do today to prove that I've done something? Instead of sitting on my phone and gapping out for, you know, 12 hours. What have I done today to change? Meaningful. Something meaningful. And, yeah, it, I hope that I can purify that motivation into a place of I actually want to make a better impact on this world. I hope that I can help people feel less stress. I hope I can help people feel happier. But that's not always possible. And when I feel I don't do that, I beat myself up or I demean myself or I say that I've, I've been useless today. But why do I need to be useful? Am I, and I'm just, I'm kind of riffing here because I'm, I'm processing this, this mentality behind accomplishing something because I have the same thing. But why, why do I want to be useful? Yeah, because if, if I were to spend my whole life only like a wandering mystic just finding food and then finding shelter at night and that's it the outcome is the same I'm going to die one day and when I die all all the stuff I've done and accumulated is pointless by the end but there is some instinct uh, to create I think it comes back to that creative force and I don't know why that is. I'm not trying to say that it's our role. We, we're here to be creators. But for me, that's the case. My, I guess my, uh, my calling, my mission in life is uh, to align myself with what I perceive to be a creative force. And, and because that's where the, all the play happens. And, and if I'm going to have an impact on the world, it's to help others see that place too if that's what they're looking for so you know the path of service to me that's the most meaningful because it's it's the one that brings a sustained sense of well-being to me personally when i'm of service that's when i forget my own stories and my own agendas and to to just be of service to other human beings and whatever whatever that is. And when I stop resisting that and I just go with that, that seems to be a very natural gateway into, uh, not suffering, you know, and, and in the yogic path, that's the karma yoga path, you know, the path of service. And it's a path to forget the self by being of service to others. So, so, so no longer identifying with my own personal agenda and needs and selfish desires, but truly putting myself out there and being very present to the world and being open to what's being asked for outside of myself by other human beings. And ultimately, I think we just want love. We want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to be loved. And so to, to be able to be of service, I, I guess this is my 
what I what I strive for, what I aim for, is to come to a place where I can genuinely be that, be a, a mirror for people, uh, hear them, see them for who they are, and love them, and be that for myself. And sometimes I'm there, and sometimes I'm not. You know, that's the journey. But uh, service, yeah. Wow, that was beautiful. I think of a statement of every act of creation an act of service. Because I like what you said about creating something. Because you're right, that's where the fun is, that's where the excitement is, that's where the magic is. When it's done from that place of purity, and I think this is what I was trying to get to for myself, was what is my motivation behind accomplishing something? And it's, yeah, again, it's an act of service, hopefully whatever that looks like. And so why can't my act of creation be an act of service as well? Like, like this podcast, like how can we make this podcast an act of creation and an act of service? I think that's what, I think any genuine creation uh, that is not ego driven is an act of service because you're being of service to the force of creation. If you look at the world, uh, you know, especially if you remove human beings from the equation, it's simply a process of creation Creation and death and creation and death and recreation and death and, and, uh, but all motivations amongst animal species and plants is procreation. It's spreading, it's growing, it's evolving. It's, and as human beings, we have a choice to be in that flow as well. And I think we're being of service to the natural order of the universe. If we're of service to creation while we're alive, and then also learning how to be open to and accept the inevitable death. And there are destructive human beings. Uh, and to me, a destructive human being, someone who commits acts of violence and kills and all of that is simply a traumatized individual. And they're just completely blocked from the flow of creation. And But even now the joy is palpable. I feel it. Like there's a different energy that's created through this tap. Just even just touching, we're touching the surface of this idea of the act of creation being an act of service. It's making me smile and not not forced, you know? Yeah. And so that means that like service, I used to think of being of service as this big sacrifice, you know? Like I've got to, and in some ways it is, but what I'm giving up is an illusion, and being of service doesn't also have to mean that I'm going and feeding the hungry or starting a nonprofit for uh, the poor community uh, or, you know, these typical Mother Teresa type acts of service. Those are super valuable. And some people, that's their calling and their path. But being of service can simply mean being authentic, being present, being open and allowing creation to flow through me and whatever I create, even if it's even if it's a piece of art that only I and my wife look at, or even if it's, even if it's a, a joke that just comes out of the moment, like a, a you know, comedy, writing comedy, stand up comedy. I think comedians, great comedians are of service. They're doing what they love. It's also a sacrifice. It's a lot of work that goes into it and preparing everything. But, but that service, service is simply, that's great. Service is simply surrendering to the creative nature of things. And now we're back in nature. Like every, everything in nature is serving everything else, always. Yeah, perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. So 
And this brings us back even to the level of synchronicity. Like naturally these leaves in my garden, they're going to fall and they're going to create compost for the other plants around it. Naturally, some of these plants absorb more water and share it with the plants around them. It's, you know, I'm not a perfect botanist. I love plants very much, but I'm not into the science on that level. Um, but I see the harmony and I think everyone sees the harmony. You know, I, watched this documentary of a, a man who went to go visit a tribe you know, way out in the Amazon and he showed him this video of these gardens, these immaculate gardens in the UK or something like that. And these plants are trimmed perfectly and they're all in boxes and they're all, you know, everything has its row and and the the interviewer, he, he looks over the, the indigenous people and he's like, well, what do you think of that? And they're like, you should never do that to plants. You're hurting them. You're stopping their natural, they're stretching their growth. They're all looking for light. They're all stretching towards the light. But why are you cutting that down? So we have these these mindsets. And I speak of myself. I, I have these two mindsets where I try and stifle my personal growth by putting a linear or an ideological uh, frame over it. And I stop existing. I start living in my realm of imagination that sure is another act of creation, but I would say it's a negative form of creation where I'm stuck imagining what could be better instead of living with what is. I had a really great experience. I was walking around our neighborhood here and I just, I was up here and I looked around and I really thought about it for a minute and I realized, wow, like this is something I've been looking for for my entire life. I'm in a place that is absolutely beautiful. I'm surrounded by good friends who have very similar mindsets or we all have our own creative aspects, but we're all, we're all striving for something greater. Internally, externally, it doesn't matter. We're striving forward in life. We're looking to evolve. And I've always been looking for this. And I feel, I feel that's lacking in, or it was lacking in my life before I felt people were very happy being in their boxes. There was a limit to where they knew they could make it to. I know I could only be a bartender. I know I could only do this. I'm going to stay here at this position and I'm happy. I'm content. I have what I need. I have food. I have water. I have a big TV, whatever, but it was never enough. There was an end. There's there right there. There's the end. They've stopped. And I always prefer people that are on this upward spiral. There is this incredible gentleman. He's also a bit strange. He was a friend of Timothy, Timothy Leary's. His name was John C. Lilly. And John C. Lilly was very much into the evolution of the human mind and the human psyche. So was Timothy Leary to a degree, but then things got out of hand. But um, John C. Lilly has this uh, small writing. And it's called Beliefs Unlimited. And Beliefs Unlimited is where you start creating an open mindset or an open set of rules within yourself without a limit. And I listen to it often, and I love it, and I want to live that way. I want to live a way where I am unlimited, and I want to see people live in that way as well because you're never doing anything wrong. But, you know, just don't stop. Life will guide you in the right way. You will guide yourself in the right way if you keep listening, if you keep following, if you keep being present, like you said, Al. 
but don't don't limit yourself and and we see this often in in life where people are like oh you know i you know i i can't do anything i'm i I don't have this degree or this this one thing or I just I'm missing this one aspect to actually create this and it's like well yeah that's a that's a belief I want to free myself from my mind I want to free myself from my limitations and that's why it doesn't matter what I step into I'm never gonna I'm always ready to learn and I'm always ready to fail I, I'm excited to fail because that means I'm gonna learn something new it's like like with jujitsu for us you know, for a long time, it was just me rolling against Chase, who is our friend, who's a very good black belt in jujitsu, and he he destroys me. And sometimes he'd let me he get something here and there, and I know he's giving it to me. But I prefer that he keeps smashing me and keeps teaching me how to be better, rather than just letting me be at this one level of oh okay here's a you know here's an arm lock here's a you know, mata leon. So yeah, I, I, I keep walking into jiu-jitsu. I'm always going to be a white belt. I keep walking into to diets. I'm always a white belt. And I always want to be a white belt. I always want to be fresh and a beginner in everything I do. Because if I think I know, right as soon as I step in, I've ruined it all. If that makes sense. Or if that's too woo-woo. Hey man, that's not woo-woo to me at all. And I think it comes back to this willingness to die, to let go of any assumption of knowing anything and any belief systems. And yeah, I don't know if you probably have had this with all the experiences you've had with plant medicine, but I've had these experiences specifically with, uh, you know, psychedelic experiences where I just get a glimpse of the unlimited potential I have as a human being. And it really brings a perspective in that all my illusory limitations are simply ideas in the mind stories that I tell myself that stop me and as human beings we are so far more capable of what we're doing you know they always talk about we're only using this tiny minute percentage of our mind you know and I don't know the details of that but I've I've seen that for myself and I have plant medicine ceremonies where I just see the you know, I can go down any rabbit hole of possibility for myself and what I can do. And it's infinite. And it's just simply a matter of overcoming or seeing through or not listening to the mechanism of the mind that tells me you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, these stories, these stories that are, they come ancestrally. So I know that in my ancestral lineage, I just look at family members. Uh, there's, there's really this kind of pessimistic view as soon as we're presented with an opportunity, the mind goes straight to all the ways it can fail, all the ways it's not going to work. And I think that's a pretty normal thing, but I see it in my family and I see it arise within myself. And my wife actually has really shown a light on this uh, for me just through reflecting with me uh, that I have that tendency to do that as a default. As soon as, you know, even with the podcast, you know, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a long time, for years, thinking about it but I've n never jumped into doing it because I would immediately think of all the reasons it can't work. Uh, there's already so many podcasts. They're all, there's so many great podcasts, people that really know what they're doing. Who's going to listen to me? Blah, blah. You know, all these limitations. And, but when you really comes down to it, it's just a story. And if we just drop that 
and drop any attachment to any sort of outcome, sky's the limit. And actually, no, this, there is no limit. I think we could even fly. We we can. And and you're <laughs> laughing. Levitation. I, no, but you're yogis, laughing. Yeah, le- yogis, yogis meditate. There's stories of murayas in the jungle, you know, these very high-level maestros in the jungle who could fly, who could turn into animals. So where's the gap in mindset? And why why can't we be there now? I'm not saying to to take the egoic stance of I'm a Muraya or I'm a very high level yogi. No, 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 no. But I'm not gonna stop my mind from allowing me to have that idea. I I don't I don't want to have any limiting ideas. Mm-hmm. And I would say even with this podcast today, right before we started, we were kind of sitting here and we we're like, well, what do we talk about? What do we talk about? And we I went mental. Not mental like crazy, but I went into my mind and I started thinking, oh, like, what am I going to say? And I started to get nervous. And I almost felt myself resisting the podcast. Like, I don't want to do it because I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know where we're going to go. And that stopped me. It was stopping me. But because I want to embrace this mindset of there's no limitations, I was just ready to just get on and see where we go. And this is where we end up in the unknown. Yeah. That's a practice that I'm consciously doing now as a part of my daily practice. And I think I mentioned this in the first episode, uh, this program I'm doing is called fearless training. And basically, so let, you know, let's say I commit to sit down to just write for an hour and then that's the practice. And the point of the practice isn't so much the writing. It's to notice when those limiting beliefs come into play and want to distract me from the writing. So the story of like this, what I'm writing is stupid. I'm not going to share this. No one's going to want to read this. This is pointless. And, you know, the stories very quickly turn into me doing something else, even something that feels productive as an excuse. So I'll stop writing to organize, to clean the kitchen, whatever. And so the point of the practice isn't the writing itself. It's to really be mindful and notice every time that the urge to distract a limiting belief comes up to see those and to stick with the practice. And so sometimes for me in that 30 minutes or one hour of writing, something will come up and I might just sit there quietly and just notice it and not even write for 10 minutes, but just notice the urge, the desire to distract, to move away, to follow, to, to listen to this mind that's telling me that this is pointless and I can't do this. And that's the practice. Because for me, you know, I've had plant medicine experiences, psychedelic experiences where it was so powerful. And as I came out of the experience, I felt like, wow, the limiting beliefs are gone forever. I'm free. And then slowly they creep back in. Uh, so now it, for me, it's a practice of just really watching, shining a light on those, being mindful of those. Because the more I shine a light on something, that's what allows it to express and to be gone. If I repress it and just mindlessly follow a belief system then it's just going to stay there and it's going to actually grow so uh, absolutely man i mean I, and i think any like with jujitsu you know i'm 40 years old now and i'm just starting jujitsu and i already know that if i just keep going with this throughout my life i think the way to prevent aging not in a physical sense but in a mental sense or aging in a in a viewpoint kind of getting apathetic about the world and just getting bitter as we age. 
the, the remedy for that is to continue learning and to continue growing and to continue breaking our limitations. And, and so starting jujitsu now, I, I hope to do this as long as my physical body will allow. And even as my body breaks down when I'm old, I still want to do it in some capacity because I see a potential for infinite learning. And if I bring that energy into my life, you know, the jujitsu isn't just about jujitsu. We've talked about this. It, it starts to have an impact on other areas of life. And I just, I find myself uh, just when we finish a session of a class or rolling, like I leave with a sense of humility a sense of curiosity about life in general. Uh, the the mind with the limiting beliefs tends to be quieter after all that because I've already generally gone past my perceived limitations in that class by learning something new or by finding myself in a really difficult position where I can't breathe, but then I find my breath uh, or uh, just facing pain and then working through it. And, and so having that element in my life of learning and growing I used to tell myself, and this is a common story, is like, once you're past 30, you can't learn anything new, uh, you know, and a lot of people just kind of give up. And I never want to stop learning uh, because that's, that's fuel to apply to the rest of my life and to stay open. And life can be fruitful and limitless and exciting and new until the very last breath that I take if I maintain that student mindset. And beyond. And beyond. Where do, who knows what happens? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I... It's funny, I hear... I don't know, I hear, I hear disagreement. Whether it's like... You know, it's my own... Not, not to you, personally, but to this idea of being limitless. I, I hear this small voice that's like disagreeing. And I wonder what that is. I wonder what, where we started to believe we can't be anything. The small voice itself is the limitation. So of course the small voice, the, the mind, the dialogue in the mind, it cannot comprehend limitless because it by its very nature is the limit. So like a border doesn't understand borderless because that's what it isn't. So I don't think I can ever with my mental dialogue, analytic mind ever comprehend truly what it means to be limitless because limitless comes when I stop trying to figure it out. The mind itself is the limit and the gateway and the gateway. Right. Wow. So that little voice is just, it's living its definition, which is a limitation. Say that thing about borders again, though. That's really powerful. The borders don't know what borderless is because they, that's what they aren't. The, the whole function, right. So it's, it's the mind itself that doesn't know how... No, that its function itself is to limit. Yes, it's to limit, to label, to, to separate, to categorize, when all of those things actually don't truly exist i'm not saying it's wrong this is at least for my state of where i'm at in my own evolution i need my mind to differentiate between a chair and uh, a plate of food because uh, if i eat the chair i'll probably choke on it you know what i mean <laughs> please don't try and eat a chair yeah <laughs> so and and so it's a tool 
And it's the old adage, you know, a mind is an excellent tool, but a terrible master or something like that. Servant. Servant. Yeah. Uh, it's a servant, but not a master. It's, but, and it's in its most optimal use. But as a primary function, and I and I am making a generalization here, but I feel for most people, it's their primary drive, or their driving force. I should say is the mental master. Yeah, I would still say that's true for me most of the time. I think, but maybe less so. But yeah, that's it. But I want to bring it a step deeper, which is, you know, how many of your thoughts are actually your thoughts? That's a deep one. Well, when I meditate, I think this is a common experience of meditation, but thoughts appear in consciousness. Where do they come from? I So if I'm meditating and all of a sudden I start thinking about something my wife said earlier or whatever, at some point I can't point to me making a choice to think that. It just appeared. And it's really quite a rabbit hole because when I really look at it, it's kind of pointless to try to figure it out. But sometimes I just imagine <laughs> that there's there's some being sitting in front of like a computer, just typing in all the thoughts and just beaming them into my mind and then they just appear. Like, I don't know. It, it's, you, I don't know where they come from, but it seems we, through practice, we can quiet that. So I don't know what that means either, but where do thoughts come from? I don't know, but I recognize, at least in my own experience of meditation, that I'm not choosing the thoughts. When they arise, it seems like they're arising in the proper context, like uh, a thought about what my wife said earlier. Oh yeah, because she just said it earlier, so it's present. But I didn't choose for that to arise in that moment. Just like when you, when I meditate, I recognize I'm not choosing anything. When I'm meditating, there's sounds, there's sensations in the body, thoughts arise, but everything is an arising. It's just arising, arising, arising. There's no me there that's creating any of it, that's choosing any of it. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, I, I'm. Maybe it's not like where where the source of where thoughts come from. I like what Terrence McKenna says. He says, "What if all thoughts we were just listening? We were listening to something, like listening to like a frequ- like a radio. Yeah, just like a we're radio. tuned into a frequency. It's a podcast. Yeah, there's a podcast that's just thoughts. What if we're just listening the whole time? Yeah, well, that's what uh, my friend who, the way he teaches this this practice called Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian practice uh, with, it's kind of a mantra, I love, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, thank you. Those four words, they can pretty much heal anything. But the way he teaches it is around thought. So if, the, if an unhelpful thought arises, to treat that thought like an entity, like a, like a free being that's come into my field and I see the thought and I say, I'm sorry. In other words, I'm sorry for latching onto you for grasping you. Uh, I'm sorry. I love you. So that's just recognizing it, seeing it for what it is. Please forgive me and thank you. And then that gives the thought permission to leave. So for him, it was a very powerful practice because he did this with all limiting beliefs that he had or whenever he could. And it really freed and opened his mind. So yeah, like Terrence McKenna, like what if thoughts are, a broadcast 
or even you can view them as entities and we're actually on some level choosing to tune into them and whether or not to believe them, to hold on to them or to let them go. Yeah, I like that. I like Ho'oponopono. It's a really cool practice. Yeah, yeah. and people have different ways of yeah. using it. but Yeah, I just, what came to my mind was how many thoughts are actually new? How many times do we have a new thought? It seems like, for myself personally, I, I see a lot of thoughts that are recycled. It's like I, I see... It's almost like watching a merry-go-round. Oh, there's that white horse. Oh, there's the red dragon. Whatever. Okay, here they come around again. I'm going to add something to them. I'm going to put a person on them. I'm going to put some shoes on this one. Whatever. I'm going to paint its eyes. Why do we do that? Why do we keep recycling thoughts instead of... And, and I think that in itself is a prison. And how many times can I create a brand new thought? Something that hasn't been thought of. And this is where... I personally enjoy the art of imagination. I enjoy the art of stepping really far outside of what I know and just start to play there. And and not as a I believe it's a fact, but I believe it's a it's an adventure. And so I keep looking for these new ideas. I keep playing with this space that's so empty that there of course there's nothing else that can exist except new ideas. Um yeah how many of your thoughts are your own and, and not in a conspiratorial sense, but how many of your thoughts are your personal Alan's thoughts that have been formed just by you without the aid or the influence of anything or anything, you know, none of them. I don't think it's, it's just a quite, I'm, yeah. I'm playing with an idea yeah, here. It's an idea. And it's fun to explore it because I think exploring ideas like this can lead to a certain level of liberation or peeling away a layer. It's really getting, trying to get to the bottom of something that I think is bottomless and recognizing that. I don't think any, well, firstly, I mean, again, through meditation, there's a recognition uh, through exploring that, that keep asking the question, who am I? That there actually is no me. There isn't. Everything that I can point to as me is, is, is uh, a temporary manifestation. So, uh, for example, I'm Alan. Well, what is, what is that? That's just a word. Okay. That doesn't, and there's actually multiple Alans on the planet. So who am I? There's many owls. Yeah. Am I? Yeah. Like basically I'm so there is no me. Therefore I don't create the thoughts. They arise in my experience. Or, or what if you had an opportunity to completely recreate yourself. Like you actually are just a ball of putty that you can form into anything. Wow. That's yeah. And I, and just as an idea, it's just, and this is where I hope this podcast is always in this realm of being so open to the realm of possibilities of infinite possibilities of the mind. Infinitely right now, people are reacting in various ways. Some people are having a temper tantrum. Some people are furious. It doesn't matter. There's and I and I look at myself. Oh, there's parts of myself that are having temper tantrums. They don't want to exist in this realm of complete unknown, and that's death again. We're back at where we started. We're, we keep doing this Ouroboros, uh, these loops, which is great. I I prefer this because this is what I feel true revolution is: is cycles, you know, or spirals, 
I feel like we have to unravel ourselves. If we're spiraling inwards, we're spiraling through the same patterns. We're spiraling denser and denser and denser. We're creating more and more and more. And this is through the work of, you know, plant medicine that I've seen where people get stuck is they've, they've wound a knot. They've wound a little spinning wheel so tight. It's spinning so fast. This belief system. I suck. Oh, and they just keep spinning it and 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 spinning, it and spinning it because they believe it. Maybe initially they didn't, but that once they saw that momentum was going, they kept playing with that. These stupid fidget spinners. <laughs> These fidget, fidget spinners of life or of thoughts. And going back to the idea of beliefs unlimited, I don't want to get stuck there. I want to keep going beyond that. Oh, I'm watching this fidget spinner. I just turned my sadness into a fidget spinner. Oh, now my fidget spinner can fly away. It's a helicopter. I can always play in the realm of imagination. And we always used to do this as kids. Why did we stop? We had new ideas. We had new beautiful realms of infinite possibility, of no limitation. And and this isn't everyone because of our life circumstances. Like you said, traumatic incidences happen where we have to become more solid. But... At some point throughout our childhood, we had imaginations of great, vast things, and we lost that. And this is where I think we've put ourselves in our prison, is we've started to play with the fidget spinners of the same thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we actually, when I'm, we, we perceive through that f- fidget spinner, like, like, so the fidget spinner that I suck, if, if, it can be really easy to try to heal that fidget spinner by seeing it through that fidget spinner. So I suck for thinking I suck. And we're actually reinforcing. That's an interesting way, uh, analogy of the fidget spinner. Um, and yeah, why, why did, why do we lose that? Why do some we, of us? Well, why do we stop creating ourselves? Probably because of, uh, the, the stories our culture and society tell us about who we are and what we're supposed to be. And not as a grand conspiracy, but no. as, a, as a general fact of how we, we're always looking at influences in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's not bad to take influences from other things, but when we try to become that influence, we've lost, we've lost ourselves. We lost our, our free will or our creation. Yeah. Like, and this is where, like, currently, to be really honest, I've had such a hard time reading books. Like, nonfiction. For a long time, I was just reading nonfiction. I was reading tons of different books, a lot of books on the occult, all this. I had a huge library, and I loved my library. But now, like, I sit down to read a book, and I just, I see a mind as a mind. I see a book as a mind. And I just see these especially non-fictional books, it's just like, oh, you know, my, through this evidence based on this research, I found that this thing, X equals Y. And it's like, oh, wow, okay. So now I believe X equals Y. And now I'm going to go to war because I think X equals Y. And because this guy said it. And, and this is what I see when people get into these, these arguments. They're just, they're spinning these wheels of somebody else's thoughts. And they're just amplifying them. So what if the world was just 
you know, buildings of thoughts. And we've just started to build wars over my building of thought and what everyone has said before me is right and that's wrong. What if nothing was right? What if there was no truth that we could find outside of ourselves? I don't, is there? I don't think there is. I don't think there is. I've had the same problem with books. Uh, and for a while that led me to just read fiction just to have fun with stories because I think I can get a lot out of stories. But I've been reading nonfiction again lately with the understanding for myself that no book of information is going to liberate me, but it can teach me how to operate in the realm of thought. Uh, I can learn, you know, just books on, you know, right now I'm reading a book on, I'm reading a book on storytelling and how it's actually written from like a business perspective, how, you know, a business can sell itself much better to the public by telling a story rather than just revealing all the features of its product. People really resonate more with a story and that there's, there are elements to a really good story. So that book isn't going to take me anywhere in terms of, uh, my own liberation, freedom, freeing my mind. However, it's giving me tools to operate in this realm that I am a part of. So that's the way I used to look to books to, to heal me, to, to be the solution. And I would find a really good one. And I was like, that's the one. And then I'd be attached to it. And then, you know, so, so, uh, I think they're, they're useful as long as we remember the context that they're not the way out. They're a way they're, they're giving us new tools to play this game of this mental realm that we live in. It's just a game. It's a game. We're all Shakespeare said, we're all, I forget the quote. We're all actors. We're all on the on stage. stage. The yeah. world is a stage. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I hope to bring, because there's a lighter sense within the, the idea of, like, I, I hope to bring a sense of liberation, not from a guru, guruic sense or a hierarchical sense, but like a, like a just let go and let your mind go as far as it can go and really play there and go further and further and further until you cannot... You feel like you can't touch a barrier and then go again and just keep going and going and going. And that doesn't mean that to get lost in your mind because it's very easy to get lost in the mind, but just to be aware of where your mind is saying the same thing. To be aware of where you're not creating something new internally. I would rather my internal world be a vast mansion with UFOs on the, the, the roof that can fly anywhere than... A house with a dog and a car. That's where thing. you live, man. You got a house with a dog and a car. It's where I live, but it's not where I live. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I would rather, and, it, and I want to be grounded in this because I, I can see how people could spin this out and be like, we should just live in the world of imagination. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I just mean be aware of where you're stopping yourself from thinking new things, from stepping outside of your box and always try and step outside of your box. I, I, I pray that for myself. I'm saying that to myself. I pray that I step outside of the box as much as I can and play there. And this is why I'd rather look like anything than look like one thing. Yeah. That, a couple of things. Firstly, I mean, you said you want people, to, I think you said you want people to be free, like their minds to be free or open. Well, to stop, to stop playing with fidget spinners. Yeah. 
So that's like your medicine. So I, I like the idea that every human being is a teacher for others and medicine. And like, the, so, the, so the angle that you bring, the medicine that you bring, and I see this in your work is helping people to realize those fidget spinners and to let them go. So essentially freeing the mind. And I believe every human being, uh, when, when we stop and we look within, we all have something to bring and to share with the world, a medicine. And that medicine can be what you're doing. It can be uh, teaching or helping kids to get in touch with their own creativity, or it can be singing songs that bring beauty to the world. It can be painting. It can be cooking amazing food, but to help people remember the goodness of what taste and life, how delicious it can be. So we all have this medicine, this gift to bring. And I believe that I believe that's true. And, and so, so life isn't just about, you know, me, finding liberation within myself, but it's also about the gift that I'm here to bring or the, the medicine that I'm here to bring for other human beings. So, uh, yeah. So when you said that, I just thought of that, but that's a, that's an open-ended spiral. Yeah. That's, yeah, I hope. And I, and I, I don't, I don't even want to limit it to beauty. I want to limit it to the ugly things as well, because we cannot turn away from those terrible things just to add on what you what you've shared because I agree with that but you know I I look at really negative people and I don't want to be like oh, I I hate that oh, this person's bad I'd rather be like hmm that's how I don't want to be or actually how can I expand this person's life how can I make them smile let me dust off some of my old jokes here you know and they're my medicine too. Like everything, everything can be our medicine. Everything can be our lesson. Everything can be our game. It's like, okay, here's this grumpy old fart that sits at the bench every day and he just glares at people. What if I go over and I try to play a game and try and make him smile for once? How can I bring more beauty without, with, you know, he's going to spit negativ- negativity at me. He's going to demonize me. But even he is medicine in doing that because he's, if I'm triggered by him or I'm I'm some way offended by his bitterness, then he's pointing me towards something to where there's still buttons on me that can be pushed and to where I'm still actually not perceiving love in all human beings. And so even the people that trigger us and, you know, a common one right now for a lot of people is like Donald Trump, you know, triggers the shit out of a lot of people. I think that's medicine. Because all the hatred that goes towards him, someone who's truly liberated isn't going to sit around talking about how much they hate Donald Trump and what an evil person he is. They're just going to let it go and they're going to maybe laugh at the situation. Uh, or, you know, if they're activists, they're going to try to resolve the situation and bring beauty and light into their world around them. Uh, but to sit around and pretend that I'm enlightened because I'm talking shit about this guy who I've never actually met but just based on what he says, then, then, you know, I'm not seeing the medicine in that. So again, everything is medicine, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's be free. I don't know. And, and again, not in a sense of, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, 
I don't want to be preachy. <laughs> I apologize. Me this neither. Sounds, yeah, me sounds too. Sounds preachy. I know. I know. But, but yeah, like through my own examples of my life, like I find that once I get back to the mindset of play, or it's a game, or it's a story, or where it's there's a creative element with an active participant, which is myself. I realize my responsibility in and what what I want to do, what I want to create, what I want to be. And I want to be, I just want to be limitless. Because that's where I find the most, the, the purest expression of myself. And I think at the core of all of this, it's we're looking for the purest expression of ourselves. Doesn't matter if we're angry assholes or we're, you know, happy, bright, shiny people. It doesn't matter. We're looking for the the purest expression of us. And this is why I pointed out new thoughts. It's because a lot of the time we're not that because we're repeating the same thought over and over and over again. So we're, we're stuck in this somebody else's world. We're robots stuck in a loop. Robots. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you, Felix. Yeah, yeah man. Awesome. Well, how did we end up here? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're just seeking liberation, I guess, and we're expressing our... We just hiked a mountain. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah. Now we can cruise back down. Yeah. Back to the earth. Yeah, we can ride the slide to down to the bottom. <laughs> cool, man. All right. Thanks, buddy. I love you, man. Love you too, man. All right. Have a nice day. You as well. <laughs> Peace out.